You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Karen Olivo and you are listening to And the Tony Goes To. It's a look back at Broadway's most magical night and all of the winners reminisce with delight with their talent and brilliance. They always impress. And the Tony Goes To. Have you ever dreamed of winning a Tony Award? Did you ever practice your Tony acceptance speech in the bathroom mirror? Did you grow up watching the Tony Awards every year? Do you have a collection of Tony Award shows on VHS tape that you refuse to throw out? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Every week, I interview your favorite Tony Award winners, and together we go down memory lane as my guests share intimate and never-before-shared details about their Tony experience. By the end of every episode, you're going to feel like you just won a Tony. Welcome to And the Tony Goes To. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Welcome today's Tony winner, Karen Olivo. The Tony Award goes to... Karen Olivo, West Side Story. Sit down. Oh my God, I'm completely unprepared for this. Uh, I just, uh, I have to say, thank you, Arthur, for believing in me and giving me confidence when I never had confidence. Um, my husband, who's amazing, and um, I can't do anything without. Um, the amazing cast, Josefina's Cagliani, you make it so easy to be Anita. And George Akram, thank you. Thank you for carrying me around the stage night after night. Um, oh my God. Um, I, I just want to dedicate this to everyone who has a dream. And uh, a lot of people said I couldn't do this. And I think that if you stick with it and you surround yourself with people who love you, you can do anything. I'm sorry. Thank you. Karen. Hello. Um, so I guess we've buried the lead. You won. <laughs> I did. <laughs> have uh, you heard that speech uh, since that night? I have. Yeah. I've, I've heard it actually quite a few times because it's a part of a documentary that I've been working on. Oh, yeah. so... Yeah. Can you take us back, if you will, to the moment that you heard your name called and just share whatever memories you can of that moment and uh, what happened next? Well, I remember that day. I mean, 
you know, the Tony, the day of the Tony telecast is such an exhausting day. Um, you know, you've gone through all the campaigning and, you know, you've shown up so early in the morning to do a full dress and basically record a safety of the telecast in case something happens during the the nighttime telecast. Um, and so I was uh, really tired. <laughs> right. And uh, the only thing that I had really thought about the entire evening, like knowing that I had been nominated, that, you know, that was sort of in the back of my mind. But the thing that I was the most worried about was dancing. We did uh, Dance at the Gym on that stage right before uh, my category had come up. And, you know, the stage at Radio City is notoriously known for being slippery. It's kind of like an ice rink. And so I thought the entire day I would probably fall and eat it. And by the time it got around to my category and I had just finished our performance, I was just so relieved. <laughs> like yeah. almost all of the the adrenaline and the worry over the evening had already dissipated because the one thing that I was sure uh, that I would fail at had had passed and I had, you know, I'd passed with flying colors. And uh, so when they announced my name, it really was a, a moment of, oh, what? Oh, right. This is happening too. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have to change out of the costume you were wearing? How did you get from performance to looking so friggin' gorgeous in your seat when they called your name? Uh, that would be my dresser and our, uh, I had two dressers that night. Um, Suli was my dresser and I think there was someone else. Oh, there was a hair and makeup person who would come to help. It might've been Scotty. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird. I had changed in and out of being Anita. Let's see. That would probably have been like six or seven times that day. <laughs> oh my God. As you think about it, you go there, you, you're right. in your garb, you you're do Karen. your thing, yeah. then you change out, you go to the theater, you do your your show, you come back, you have to come in as you know the glamorous Karen when you walk the carpet and you sit in your seat, and then you have to run backstage. We were in the opening number, so then I was I turned into Anita, and then I got out of my Anita garb to sit back in my seat, and then we had the performance, so then I had to go back, change into Anita do the dance at the gym performance and then rush back into my fancy Karen to be sitting in my seat for my category. And lots they, of <laughs> lots of quick changes. Yeah, why not? Why just not? to add to it. <laughs> well, let's just celebrate all the dressers and all the people behind the scenes who make oh, it happen. That make it look so effortless and seamless. God bless them. Do you remember what you were thinking or anything about walking from your seat to the podium? Uh, I was really sort of down on myself for not having come up with a speech. <laughs> I really was like, you made a mistake. You made a mistake. That's what I kept thinking. You've made a mistake, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> so Karen, when you say you were saying it was, it's a mistake, what, like, everything about life up until that moment coming to the Tonys. What, what do you mean exactly? I was, uh, I was thinking you've made a mistake in the same way that you usually make mistakes, Karen, which is you did not fully prepare for the moment <laughs> and this may cost you. Let's just see what happens. Um, so it was know, speech related at that moment. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was definitely speech-related. And also, it's weird. I I do remember walking up to the stage, um, and I remember someone putting out their hand to help me. Maybe it was Will or uh, – I can't remember who it was. It was someone that was sitting over to the left. And I remember um, not like – not rejecting them, but sort of being like, no, I got it. Right. That's so you. (laughs) But I mean, now in retrospect, I'm like, no, that's the thing that they're supposed to do. Like a woman walks to the stage in one of these ridiculously long gowns and heels that's, you know, designed to make them trip and fall. Uh, You you know, if you're close by, you offer them a hand. But I remember being like, no, 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 no. Because I I was sort of gathering my courage to sort of uh, figure out what I was going to say. Well, it came to you and it remains one of the most moving Tony's speeches uh, in history. And when you hear it now, knowing that you had sort of been beating yourself up, that you hadn't been more prepared, mm-hmm. how do you feel when you hear it in terms of its authenticity and its emotion and its availability to the truth of the moment? I mean, I think that there, there are a couple of things about this. I, I don't recognize that person as the person that I am now. Um, I don't, I feel like, you know, there's a it drips of unworthiness, um, which is uh, which makes perfect sense knowing where I was in my life during that time. I do know that I sort of retreated from being present uh, because it was too big for me. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you you work for these things your entire career and people tell you like, oh, yeah, you got to go you know, hopefully you'll win the Tony. And then it actually happens. It's dropped in your lap. And then you realize that you don't have any context for the moment. And so I felt like I sort of, like I evaporated, like the the most, the person driving the train sort of like took their hands off the wheels and sort of like pulled back and something else took over because I couldn't really process what was happening. And I guess, you know, when I listened to it, I, I'm like, who, when did you decide to say that, Karen? <laughs> it just sort of, um, it came from a pretty organic place, but I don't necessarily think that it, um, I, I think it was sort of, it came from a, a, a fearful place, I think. Mm. And, 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 and honest, you know, in in that moment, I was definitely in a in a shaky place in my life. So um, I think it's probably the most realistic version of someone in front of, well, I would say, what, millions of people, right, right, <laughs> watching this really vulnerable thing happen to someone publicly. Well, the thing that you talk about in your speech is Arthur Lawrence and. Mm-hmm you know, in our conversations in the past and and times that I've heard you talk about this show, you talk a lot about uh, the confidence that you found working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you mean just as a human or as an artist specifically playing Anita, um, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the connection to this director, the the process of getting this part that landed you the Tony that makes you Tony award-winning Karen Olivo for the rest of your life. Um, Mm -hmm. What comes to mind when I ask you that? 
Well, I had such an interesting relationship with Arthur. I loved him so dearly. And it was not, I guess anyone who's worked, who had worked with Arthur um, would know it, it was a, it was tricky to be close to him. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, something about his demeanor that, um, that I understood, like his, he, he could be really rough and I, you know, coming from a very rough background, it was almost like we spoke the same language. And so uh, I think he noticed that in me too, because, you know, there, to play Anita, you're supposed to be like the, a triple threat. You're supposed to be like one of the most amazing dancers on Broadway to do Jerome Robbins choreography. And then, you know, the singing is obviously, you, you must be a very skilled singer. And then the acting is kind of like on the back end. If you can act, that's great. Um, and I always, I always thought of myself as, as an actor first and then a singer and then a dancer. And so I walked into being Anita very – already sort of feeling like I was going to have to make up a lot of room for these things that I felt like I was lacking. And Arthur was keen to that. He knew that the dancing was going to make me feel less than. Um, at the time, I was not surrounded by – a great support system in that department other than there was a, an associate Lori Warner who did everything that she could to make sure that I could feel like a confident woman of color on that stage. And I, I wish I would have thanked her. Um, but Arthur was so keen. He could see the weakness in me. And I think, you know, if you read a lot about Arthur, Arthur, uh, could be pretty tactical and, Rather than watch me fail because of this lack of confidence in this area, he decided that he would sort of bolster me in all other areas. So there was a lot of positive reinforcement when I saw people around me not getting positive reinforcement. And that created a little bit of a weird relationship with him and I, because I'm, I'm much more, I want everyone to be on the same page. I don't want to be the lead and I don't want you to treat other people that are, that would be considered a chorus beneath me. I want us all to get the same sort of treatment. And it, it, it became this weird thing between him and I, but at the end of the day, it really was sort of um, his focus on on building me up that that got me out on stage nightly, and you know our relationship closer to the end sort of fell apart, um, and that was sad. But uh, I do, I mean, to this day, I I when I speak his name, I do feel a lump in my throat because he really was uh, quite a force for me. Mm-hmm. Did you? When you were told this role was happening, um, you know, as actors start hearing about things, shows coming up and and castings going on, was Anita, when you heard that they would be casting Anita and that they were really trying to focus on this being a much more of a Spanish language version of this mm-hmm. show, um, what was your reaction? Was it something you threw your hat in the ring for? Were you too like scared of it? How did it all come to be the part you auditioned for and got? I remember uh, feeling sorry for the person who got the role. <laughs> That's like the first thing when I heard they were going to do it. Like, and no, then no. I was like, God, I'm, let's light a candle for that girl because it's going to be tough. <laughs> um, and I remember uh, being asked to audition multiple times and me saying no. Because? I just knew what it was. I mean, I 
the, one of the first women of color that I identified with was Rita Moreno in that movie. And, um, and that it holds so much weight. Mm. It holds so much weight for, um, for women, obviously women of color for that show. You have to be, I mean, basically in essence, it's like the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, you know, you have to be able to, um, to really hold down, you're not in a whole lot, but the things that you have, your material in that show, they have to be home runs every single time you step out on stage. And you don't have a lot of stage time to make up for things that you mess up. So, um, I, you know, the the deck is truly stacked against the person playing Anita. Um, and you were yeah. doing In the Heights at the time. I was. We had just won the Tony. We yeah. were like- You were good. Our, yeah, you were it was good. our- it was our summer after winning the Tony and we were like, what? This thing that we never thought would happen yeah. happened for us. And we were all so in love with each other and such a huge tight knit family. And um, I mean, I, you know, it was to this day, one of the best jobs I'll ever have. Uh, so I was not looking to leave <laughs> for so, sure. <laughs> no, no, no one wanted you to leave ever. We all wish that show were still on. Um, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So Lin-Manuel Miranda did the uh, translation of the lyrics into Spanish or was one of the people who translated the lyrics. Um, mm -hmm. And you're working with him at the time. So are you having behind the scenes conversations with him? Are you saying, you know, they're asking me to come in, but I don't want to. And he's saying what? Well, Lin was in my callback like he was behind the table sitting next to Arthur was that um, awkward or great yeah no it was it was it was weird and comforting at the same time because we both it was bittersweet it was like you know when you like you know you got to do something but you don't want to or like yeah. it was like it was a relationship that we saw that we could possibly end and we were like no but we really like what's going on here yeah um, he knew more about my situation with that show than I did, obviously, because um, I think he even sent me maybe a screenshot of a note that Jeffrey Sellerin and he were passing back and forth during my callback. Um, what did it I, say? Well, I, I know, I think there were something like 35 women that they saw that day during the yeah. final callback and they had stacked me in the deck. They had basically like, they were priming me because they wanted me to be Anita. I was like the only person that Arthur had not seen. And they were sure that if he saw me, he would like me, I guess. So they had been really instrumental in like putting me in an order. And one of the things that I guess 
they had noticed is that if Arthur was not interested in someone, he didn't get up from the table. But if he was, if they had piqued his interest, he would get up and sort of scuttle over to them and give them direction. And in my uh, audition, he he stood up, walked over to me multiple times. And the note that Jeffries passed to Lynn said something to the effect of, if he gets up one more time, we're going to lose her. Or, you know, that means he wants her. And so he, Jeffrey was obviously like priming Lynn to like deal with it. Like this might be happening. Yeah. She's not going to be in our show. And then I walked out of that audition and uh, Lynn knew and I did not know. And you know, when I think back that we had a show that night. So when we did the show that night, I remember him being weird towards me. And of course, in because I am who I am, I was like, oh, I, I guess I wasn't good. Maybe I embarrassed him in there. Um, but I had actually booked the job. So that was probably like on a Thursday and my – or maybe it was like on a Tuesday. And my last show at In the Heights was Sunday. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it turn, the turnaround was pretty immediate. It, it – uh, it gave us no time to process, which is probably good um, because, you know, I left on a Sunday and then Monday morning I started West Side Story. Do you remember your first day when everyone gathered? Yes. I actually asked Lynn because uh, I was petrified. I said, you know, you're part of the creative team. Will you please just come and stand in the back of the room um, just so I can have a friendly face. And he was like, of course, of course I'll stay. You know, after they do the coffee and the bagels and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they, you know, everyone introduces themselves. And so he came and, you know, like the person that he is, he stood back there. And uh, I remember at one point I was like standing, oh no, I was sitting in like the back row, of course, if you know anything <laughs> about me. Like I'm like sitting in the back row of everything, like trying to hide myself. And he walked up when he was about to leave and he like whispered in my ear. He's like, are you good? And I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, all right, I'm going to leave now. And I was like, cool. Thank you for coming. And then that was it. And then I was off. Wow. And what's so amazing for me to hear is when you talk about you were feeling like dancing might've been your weakest link in terms of the trifecta of things you need for Mm -hmm. Anita. And then I think back to that performance um, and and your dancing is so extraordinary. It sounds to me like not only did you play catch up, you, you're you someone who like was suddenly at the Olympics uh, of dancing. And so yeah. were you just doing like, were you after school every day, people are going home and you're just working on it and working on it and working on it? I was before school. So <laughs> I would do like, I would do Pilates before rehearsal and uh, bar. I would have, I had private Pilates and private bar. Um, and uh, I was told by someone that I would need to, I would be surrounded. Their words were, you will be surrounded by the best dancers you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And you will have to work twice as hard just to look mediocre next to them. And so I- Thank walked, you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the dance world. Um, yeah. But I walked in knowing that it was going to be uphill for me. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of extra training. And then the gods, they really blessed me by giving me the woman, Lori Werner, who was the associate choreographer, who was this fantastic. She was actually one of, um, you know, the Diamonds and Pearls, Prince's, uh, like, famed video. Yeah. She was, I think she might have been Pearls. You know, wow. there's the two women. 
Yeah. She's like this like old school, like ridiculous dancer. She's one of the best dancers I've ever seen to this day. Um, she was with me at every step. She literally would take me through uh, some of the dance moves and she would put her hand on the leg that needed to hold the weight to like, cause you know, when you're not a dancer and you're just like a mover, sometimes weight distribution is the thing that will get you every time. Like you don't understand where you're supposed to like, how you're supposed to balance, how to be on your leg. And she would like move my body with her hands to show me this is what it needs to be. And I'm, so I had like, I had an arsenal of people helping me, trying to get me towards the finish line. And what was your relationship to the cast, the other principals? Uh, it was pretty wonderful. I mean, some of them, some of them are my closest friends to this day. Uh, it's weird. It, there were, we all had so much work to do that there was a lot of like seeing them uh, out of the corner of my eye and knowing that we were all rushing towards the same goal. Yes. But there wasn't a lot of downtime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to mention there's a huge division between the cast based on, you know, what gang you're in. Right. So that's what I wanted to ask. When there is friction between people in a play, obviously, the more you love each other, the easier it is to sort of do that without right. walking home bruised, wounded, and defensive every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, so I wondered, was there anything that Arthur did? I mean, he's such an old school director, and he comes from such another generation of, mm -hmm. of how he would work on things. But was there an attempt to create a family before kind of ripping that family into two parts? Or was that not really a concern of the creative team when you were building the show? It's hard to remember. I do remember one of the things that he had always sort of harped on was that this was a story about love. Hmm. It wasn't really about differences and just, um, and I know this had, you know, this particular uh, incarnation of the show was a dream that he had his former per partner Tom had had about like having a, a multi uh, a bilingual version of West Side Story and so I think that he sort of had this he was sort of bringing this gift to Tom in some way so it there was a lot of talking about you fight because you love um, this hate is because you fear that the thing that you love will go. Um, it, I think that that helped because it was a really stressful time for a lot of us. And, um, and I think that that really is one of the reasons that I became so close with a lot of the people, especially the, the Jets. I mean, it's weird, you know, Anita and the Jet gang have that really horrible scene in the second act, the taunt or the rape. And I, to this day, I think of those guys and I I only swell with pride and <laughs> my heart is warmed just by thinking of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that the the idea that this was about love and not necessarily about our differences, it sort of, uh, it set the tone. And what about Sondheim? and his relationship to the process of putting your show together. You also made a cast recording. Um, was he around at all uh, and a part of any of the process of any of those things? Oh, gosh, this is so funny. So I, I had one interaction with uh, 
with Sondheim and it was in the recording and there was a lyric that had been sort of altered in our rehearsal and no one had no one had really changed it or caught me up on it and it was it was something that you could you could say either way and it made perfect sense but one had another meaning and I remember we had done America uh, once or twice and he came into the booth and he said you know this is the way that lyric is supposed to to be read and I said oh okay I just you know I just I've only been doing that because you know Arthur had said this that and the other and so I'll definitely do it that way. And I, in that moment, he, um, he was like, we'll just do it this way. And I, I had had conversations with Arthur so many times about Stephen Sondheim. Um, and he would say, oh, yeah, yeah we're not friends. We're not, we don't like each other. <laughs> and in that split second in which Stephen was like, no, do it my way, uh-huh. I, was like, I was like, oh, this is not about anything other than Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you – because it, it re- truthfully, I could say it either way and no one would really know. But yeah. right now, you're trying to stick it to Arthur. And I am so glad that I'm a part of this moment. <laughs> you're part of theater history in the making. Tell me what, um, when you think about Anita, this part that, you know, you saw, I assume you saw the movie when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little thing. And you remember that. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's burned into my memory. So. What a heady thing, right? To take on this part that I'm, you know, you you see yourself as a little girl portrayed on celluloid on a huge screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this kind of representation, and she's just so incredible in the movie. Um, do you just take that with you and put it in your pocket and then just go to work? Were you able to, if it's burned in your memory, like Mm -hmm. what do you do with it when you're then going to work on it? Well, I mean, this is yet another um, wonderful moment where Lori Werner, our associate choreographer, uh, helped me through that. I I remember having a conversation with her saying, there's no possible way. Like I, I know this and I know what it means to me. And how can I possibly reimagine and re-embody this for a completely different generation? And her words were, you know, when you love something and you revere it and it's up on the mantle, you can, you can have all of those feelings about it, but when it becomes yours, you must take it off the mantle and you have to sort of break it and you have to make it anew. And I was like, okay. And she's like, that doesn't mean that you you disregard what you know and you love about it. You hold that and you let that be the inspiration for your new version, but you have to break it. It cannot be bigger than you or else you'll never be able to do this. Right. I would imagine she came to see the show. Oh yeah. She was with us the entire time. Yeah. And so did you guys have conversations? You know, uh, Lori was a very interesting woman. Um, she was not very emotional and very uh, – she definitely gave you notes, but she was always like a little sort of – I don't want to say cold, but she had like this sort of standoffish sort of demeanor because she needed to keep – she was an empath and she needed to sort of keep her distance. Um, but she I, – I could tell when she was out in the audience. Mm-hmm. I could feel her, you know? And she always built me up. She was never, you know – she was always sort of rooting for us and and pushing us to be better in all of the good ways, in none of the bad ways. 
Um, and what about Cheetah Rivera? Did she come? She did. Yeah, she came and they they were very nice to me and they didn't tell me the night that she was coming. There's uh-huh. actually, there, there are many photos of her coming and the look on my face is uh, one of horror. It, she actually, at one point while they were taking pictures of us, she grabbed my face and she said, fix your face. <laughs> Because it looked like I hated her. But, you know, if you know me, if I if I am, like, shocked or if I am enamored with something, it looks like I'm smelling garbage. That's just my face. My face right. just does that. And um, I was so blown away by the fact that she had just seen the show and that moment was over and I could let go of it. Um, but, yeah, no, I was uh, – I was not the same. Sometimes I find, I have those pictures and I look at them and I laugh hysterically because it looks like I hate her. And I can't, you know, I mean, of course I don't hate her. Um, but I was just so overwhelmed by her presence. I can imagine. I mean, what a thing when like reality and fantasy crash in that way. Oh, it's yeah. such an extraordinary thing. Oh, um, yeah. So if you think about Anita, can you describe what that role means to you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like Anita is uh, a trailblazer. I I felt like she was like, she's truly the immigrant story. Um, coming from another place, deciding that she was going to put roots down, fight to better her family, uh, do whatever she needed to do to keep her family together and safe. Um, yeah. I mean, had I known that our our country would take the turn that it did, uh, you know, yeah, I guess I could have used a lot of that. But yeah, she's a she's the quintessential immigrant story, a woman fighting to keep everyone together. All yeah. right, before we go, I have a couple of questions. It's like a rapid fire round oh, of favorite, Tony questions. All right, my favorite. Yeah, okay, no. <laughs> so. I know. I know. We love games. I My heart starts beating fast just asking the question. Um, do you remember who handed you your Tony? John Stamos. Do you remember who you brought to the Tonys? My ex-husband. Do you remember who made your dress? Mm, Donna Karen. And where is your Tony today? It is currently in my New York apartment. It's about to be in a box on my way back to me in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, um, I wish I could be in a box on my way back to you in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would make me really happy. Karen Olivo, thank you so much. Tony winner and extraordinary human. And thank you for sharing your Tony story. Oh, absolutely. So good to spend time with you. And the Tony Goes To is produced by Alan Seals for the Broadway Podcast Network. The music and lyrics for the theme song were written by Georgia Famusa. Theme song orchestration by Alexander Sage Oyen. Episodes are edited by Derek Gunther. Thank you to Parody Bill for the graphics. And please don't forget to go to the iTunes show page and rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. Excerpt from the Tony Awards used with permission of Tony Awards Productions. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 